Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Have you ever been at a veterinary conference and you listen to a dermatology lecture and you want a really simple answer to something? So you raise your hand, you ask a dermatologist a question, and you get the dreaded answer, it depends. Why are we so obsessed with the answer? Why do we have a hard time committing to an answer for you that could just make it so black and white and simple in the clinic? And the difficult part, let's just focus on allergies because that's one of the most common things we deal with. The difficult part about a lot of questions that we get is that there are so many different variables. There's not a lot of standardization in what we're treating. Let's just take something simple like cytology. You know, cytology collection technique, it seems so straightforward and easy, but it actually can be really variable, even between experts like dermatologists, where you collect, how much pressure you put when you're collecting a sample, how much you decide to rub on that particular slide. So when we get asked simple questions like, well, for a pyoderma that you see 15 cocci per oil immersion field, would you treat topically or systemically? Why? we often can't give a really straightforward answer is you could collect a different sample from that pet and find something completely different. We could have different collection techniques. You could be doing tape versus me doing direct impression smear. I could have just picked a better area, which is why we often are sampling numerous areas of the body. You know, not just one if multiple areas are affected. It also comes down to the history of that pet. You know, if I have a history of a pet who's ha- struggled with methicillin-resistant staph, that is going to factor into how aggressive I am with certain products, with how soon I culture. Is that pet immunosuppressed? Then again, I may be culturing a lot faster than, say, a young healthy dog with its first pyoderma. Um, you know, what is the owner able to do? I love bathing. I wish we could bathe every infection that we have. But if an owner is telling me that they are unable to based on their schedule, based on physical limitations, or the pet is absolutely not going to let them do that, I am just going to set them up for frustration and failure, asking them to say bathe their pet. And you can't assume things like sprays and mousses are any better. You know, if we have paw infections, we know that we have a lot of patients who hate their paws being messed with, you know, where it could actually be a danger to the owner because they may be biting them or aggressive if they try to just do something simple like apply a mousse or spray their paws. But of course, I want to be responsible with my antibiotics and don't just want to accept that every pyoderma gets a systemic antibiotic. So how itchy and pruritic they are, how diffusely they're affected, what their history has been, if they have other comorbidities, what the owner is able to do, what the pet will allow to happen. These are all things that factor into our decisions. And sometimes we get them wrong, right? Sometimes I try to treat something topically and it runs rampant and we have to switch course. You know, sometimes we culture, we are completely limited on what antibiotics we can use. And I'll call the owner because I've had them bathe while we're waiting for the culture. And they're like, oh, they're doing 
actually pretty well. And the bathing was easier than I suspected. I just had that happen with the case a couple of weeks ago. And we were able to control a really resistant staff, methicillin resistant staff with just chlorhexidine topicals alone. And the owner was a bit hesitant, but I did not want to start a systemic antibiotic while we were waiting for culture because of its history. And actually they found it much more simple and easy. And we didn't have to use amicacin or famban, which were really the only options systemically that we had. So that is why it's really difficult for answer to, for us to answer a question like that. Same when we talk about malassezia management. You know, we love to manage things topically, but if the owner is not able to, if we need to reach for systemics, which one do we reach for? You know, personal preference, what type of side effects could that pet have? So if they have a history of hepatopathy, I'm going to probably avoid the azoles because um, we know that they can cause liver enzyme elevations. And I might use something like terbinafine. Now, the difficult part about terbinafine is depending on the dosing, if it's, say, a big dog, it comes at least here that I'm aware of in America, it comes in one size tablet, 250 milligram tablets. The dosing can be 20 to 30 mg per keg per day once daily. So if I have a really big dog, it may be five tablets, six tablets once a day. And if I have a pet who's really resistant to taking oral medications, that might not be realistic for that owner. Um, again, going to, if they don't like their paws being touched, if they, you know, are more diffusely affected, if they have a malassezia hypersensitivity, if they have a really bad malassezia perinechia, and it's just not realistic, they can get, you know, the shampoo into that tight claw fold. If they're really severely affected, then those are all going to factor into my decision. Another one that I really think, um, occurs commonly is which do you prefer Apoquil or Cytopoint? And we've talked a little bit about this historically on the podcast. Sometimes I've heard veterinarians have, you know, preferences. We can all have our preferences. That's fine. But they're like, well, I just carry Apoquil in the clinic because I think it, think it works better. And the reality is, and what the studies have showed is that we do have some dogs that respond better to Cytopoint than Apoquil. We do have some dogs that respond better to Apoquil than Cytopoint. They're not the same drug. They are different medications, different therapies. We also, again, have to go back to not only what is effective for that pet. If one doesn't work, maybe the other is much more effective in them. But what does the owner schedule allow? What will the pet allow? So if some owners that if they travel a ton, doing Cytopoint is much easier for them because they don't have a pet sitter that they feel like can give a tablet every single day. Now having the apical chewable out is going to be really helpful because it has increased the palatability, but let's just still say we have a pet who's really resistant or the pet owner can't, or the pet sitter can't remember. Now the flip side is I have some owners that travel and it's really difficult for them to get the pet to the clinic every four to eight weeks, depending on works, what works for that dog to administer Cytopoint. We have some dogs that are extremely fearful at the veterinary hospital and having to have their primary management be an injection they have to come see me for can actually be very stressful for that pet and could affect the relationship of me with that pet, managing them long-term or their owner with that pet. Um, so those are, again, things that we really have to consider. And really, when we talk about allergy management, we occasionally have pets that don't really respond well to either of those therapies, um, or they really need both of those therapies. So 
The fun and the frustration of dermatology is that there's so many different layers of what we're dealing with because allergies, it's great when you can give them an antipyretic therapy and it works and it controls them and the pet and the owner are happy, but there's so many different factors we deal with like the itch, the recurrent infections, the ears, the skin, an abnormal skin barrier, an abnormal microbiome. We have different presentations of allergies. Some dogs come in and they're just extremely itchy, but their skin doesn't look that bad. We have some allergic cases that it just seems like their microbiome's off. They're not that itchy when they're not infected, but they just get infected seasonally, or we know that it's from their allergies and we've done a workup to identify other non-allergic causes. And it just comes down to maybe an abnormal microbiome. We've talked about different phenotypes we see in some of these pets. Why are Westies little elephants when they really flare? Why are they so predisposed to break out with yeast? Whereas we can see German shepherd dogs who will get really ulcerative draining dermatitis. That's really uncomfortable and painful. So that's why we can't just say, oh, we like this therapy more than this therapy. Oh, we would treat this one topically always versus systemically. It really does come down to a discussion with the owner. Then of course, our concern is that not every skin disease is allergies. So sometimes when I'm getting asked questions after a lecture, you know, I'm kind of asking like, did we work up other things? Did we get our cytology to identify that for sure is the infection you think you're managing? Are they giving us any hints in the history that maybe it's not all all allergies? You know, even if they have a history of allergies, I've had dogs who have developed hypothyroidism as they get older, um, or they've developed pemphigus as they get older. So we start asking questions about the distribution, the history of that pet, what has historically worked. And that is why we often say it really depends because we don't want to set you guys up for failure by giving the wrong information. And sometimes if we make a big claim like, oh, I prefer, I prefer Cytopoint over Apoquil for every single case. What about the case that doesn't respond to that? We don't want to be afraid to try something else. What about the owner who can't bathe their dog? Um, but they're willing to do a moose. What about the owner who can't afford one thing? You know, does that mean we just don't help them at all? So that is why it really does depend. We can give certain protocols, we can give certain algorithms and guidelines, but we really want to train people to think through these cases. We want to train for the betterment of the pet and the owner. We want to be able to train you guys to kind of ask those questions, get more confidence in managing them, thinking of them like that little skin puzzle that we have to put together and really, really work within that case's restrictions. And sometimes there's no restrictions. The owners will do anything. Sometimes there's big restrictions or the patient gives us a restriction on what they'll allow. And so that's what we want you to get comfortable with. Cause if we just say, Oh, always do this when that doesn't work, what are we going to do? We want to make sure that we can manage within the realm of that case. Cause we are working in the real world. So Frustrating, I know, to get that answer, but it is one that is real life and one that as you get more comfortable learning dermatology, as you get more comfortable managing these cases, you'll actually start to find a little fr- a little fun, hopefully a lot of fun. Um, and I always just find it really fascinating when I try something new. I try a different protocol. I try something I haven't tried before. There's a new topical that came out and it's actually really successful in that pet. That is the best feeling for me as a clinician. <laughs>